On Ruthie's Australia, Ruthie's Roadback, powered by ArcPak. Exploring Australia with you for 40 years. Yes, that's right. And uh, the um, walking to China. Mate, I know. It sounds strange, doesn't it? You know, Mm. it sounds really strange. But you have to try and put yourself into the world of the 1780s and 90s and to understand what conditions were like over here and what knowledge was like too. I mean, at at that stage, if you'd, uh, say, lived in Ireland or Scotland or Wales, you would have never seen a globe you would probably have no idea, apart from a handful of people, you you probably wouldn't have seen a map. And if you had seen a map, there's every chance it might have been one of those that was done up by an old Portuguese seaman or, you know, one of the great navigators of 100 to 200 years before that, where Australia just showed up as this big lump attached to Asia. And that's where all of this came through, I guess, because as more and more convicts were sent out to Australia, you know, they got here and... For most of them, they had no idea where they were other than it had been an awfully long sea voyage to get here. And they just figured that because, you know, rumours, whatever, China wasn't too far away. But it wasn't just China. There was some kind of strange stories happened along here. But I think we need to set the scene to some degree. Now, most people are aware of the First Fleet landing there in Botany Bay. And, you know, quite a, a few convicts died on the way over and a few others too. And it, it, it wasn't, it certainly wasn't uh, a great big joyous cruise on a carnival line or something like that. But it wasn't that bad either. They did at least have provisions. They had some degree of uh, fairness in the way they were looked after. British justice was a little bit strange, I guess, but it was harsh, definitely harsh. But at least, you know, these people did have some rights. Now, from the, almost from the moment that the first fleet arrived, things started to go wrong. Crops weren't grown properly. They didn't have enough farmers. They didn't have enough seed. They were supposed to be self-reliant within a year or two. It didn't really happen. And then the second fleet showed up. And when the second fleet showed up, this was probably one of the most desperate points of Australia's early history, really, because the second fleet, believe it or not, the British Admiralty had contracted a bunch of old slavers to run the second fleet, and they were contracted on the basis of convicts loaded in England. In other words, the number of convicts they could get out of the country. So they just stacked the ship severely, and they were paid on that basis. So they didn't care if, if you died along the way. They were treated horrifically. You know, they didn't even have the value of slaves because at least at the end of a slave trip ride, um, you know, you, you wanted you wanted something reasonably healthy to be able to sell at the slave markets. That wasn't the situation with the Second Fleet. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because things were really desperate there in the 1790s. You need to understand how desperate times could be. So at the same time, we've got what they call the Fenian uprisings in Ireland. We're getting a lot of Irish convicts sent out. And whilst some of our uh, English convicts were quite happy to avoid the noose, were quite happy to be sent to Australia, we're already starting to think that maybe this place isn't so bad, we can make a go of this transportation for life means eventually I might get free, I might, own, you know, I might be able to chase my own kangaroos, who knows? But the Irish had a different state of mind. 
you know. They were really rebelling. They did not feel it was fair. And it was largely amongst these Irish convicts. Up until um, they started sending the Irish convicts out, we'd had one or two people make a run for it. You know, they usually didn't get very far. They usually came back or the Aboriginals turned them around, whatever. But we started to get things a little bit more organised. Some of them were crazy. There was one bunch of Irishmen who escaped and they they figured they could walk to China because this was a common misconception amongst people who hadn't seen an atlas that China's not far away. You know what they had for a compass? A piece of paper with north drawn on it and a little arrow. Now, where did they get that idea from? And every time they got to a bit of an obstruction, they'd turn the paper and go a different way because they're still going north, aren't they? And, of course, the obstruction was the Blue Mountains, you know? The Blue Mountains, the Aboriginals, the, the terrain itself was pretty much guaranteed to turn people away. But one of the funniest, sorry, the, 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 the paper compass sort of, you've got to put a lot of faith in stuff to believe in that. Most of these people didn't get very far. They get to the base of the Blue Mountains, even in groups, and they would either be found dead later on because they'd starved or something else had happened. But there was one group, and this was really funny, that, um, you know, these Irishmen particularly, they, they figured they could get to China. So they decided they'd just head up Botany Bay, head up George's River and make a break for it. But this time around, the governor heard about it and they thought, hang on a minute, you know, what's going on here? So they decided that the government decided that the best way to deal with it was to front them and say, what do you think you're doing? And there was a large number involved here. There's over 50 convicts were, were ready to escape. And so a little bit of chit-chat back and forwards, and it turned out the convicts knew for sure that 500 miles to the southwest this time, so somewhere through Goulburn and heading down to Melbourne, there was a colony of white people. They knew all about it. Why did they knew about it? Because they'd listened to Chinese whispers through the Aboriginals. And the Aboriginals, who knows where they got that story from? I mean, half the places in Australia have got names that refer to, what are you asking me? Or something like that in the local dialect. So mm. there's obviously been a bad communication problem here. And what they did was they went, look, hang on a minute. You know, you guys, you just, you've got to get over this. China is not to the north. There is no great colony. To, we're going to help you escape. We're actually going to take four of you, the worst of you, the real stirrers, and we're going to give you a little guard and a guide and we're going to head off and show you that this colony doesn't exist. So that's exactly what they did. You could say it was the first ever state-sponsored jailbreak to some degree, but they didn't want to see people just dying in the bush. They didn't want to see the labour that was the colony just leaving. They didn't really, you know, they might be whipping people on a daily basis, but they did not want to see people just wandering off and dying, which is kind of nice in a way and, and very humanitarian given the times. So off they went, the four soldiers with uh, four of these, the, the worst of the convicts, you know, the, the ones that were really pushing the cause here. They were away for 10 days before three of them decided, no, look, you know, this is just a waste of time. Here we are wandering through the bush. We don't really know where we're going. Nothing's going to happen. So they turned around and came back. But the fourth man, the fourth convict, was determined to keep on going. I haven't got any names here. 
I've researched all over the place, can't find names. Um, in fact, the story only got a tiny little mention in Dave Hart's awesome book, Gert. If you ever get a chance, Gert by Water, fantastic book. But when you look into it, it is mentioned quite a few places. So it really did happen. And they off they went, you know. So 10 days later, three of them have come back. That's it. We're happy now. We'll just tell everyone there's nothing there. The fourth guy kept going 26 days looking for that colony of white people. He had his little guard along with him. You know, they were living off the land. They didn't do it too hard. But by crikey, he came back and you know what he said? He said, there's nothing out there. There's nothing there. There's no white colony. I can't find it. So did that stop all the escapes? No. They just started pinching boats from all over the place. But we'll go there some other time. Very resourceful bunch, our first Australians, I can tell you that. I should say our first white Australians. Our native Australians were just as resourceful because they kept turning them back, didn't they, and spreading rumours about China and white colonies just over the hill. Absolutely, and I've got to say, they wouldn't have had any idea of how big Australia was at that time no. either. No, no, no idea at all. They wouldn't have had a clue. All they know is they came by water. Yes. And they probably thought, oh, we'll walk over this hill and uh, that'll be the other side of the island. I mean, they wouldn't and, have had yeah, any right. idea of and how be- big it is. Exactly. And because Cook knew about the Barrier Reef, mm. all the ships are sailing well east of that. Mm. So they didn't even get to sea land until they got fairly close to Sydney. Yeah, the whole mental concept, it's hard for us to grab in these days. You know, most of us can picture a map of Australia in our heads and, you know, a bit of a globe and we know where we are. And by the way, we are on top of the globe to all those people who keep putting us on the bottom. We're not. We're on the top, Duck. 